Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. Tonight's program is all about super yachts, some of the biggest and most expensive sailing yachts in the world, and the people who sail them. Recently, I had the privilege to be in Palma, Mallorca, for an event known as the Super Yacht Cup where some of the biggest yachts in the world come to compete against each other in ideal conditions. Never mind what you've heard about Mallorca, Palma is a beautiful place. And to be a super yacht and to compete here, you have to be at least 40 metres long. But apart from that, what makes a super yacht? I asked an expert. Hi, I'm Harry Warburton. I'm Luxury Director at Boat International and we're currently in the Bay of Palma at the Super Yacht Cup. What's a super yacht? Your, your magazine, you deal with these huge boats. So we class a super yacht as anything over 24 metres. A few other people have definitions, but we set them at a boundary at 24 metres because that's the length which you need a qualified captain. We have got seven of them here. What type of boats are we talking about here? So we're currently chasing the Jays. So J-class J is originally introduced in the 30s. Universal rule to compete for the America's Cup. Uh, we're looking at Topaz, Ranger and Sphere here, all orig not originals, so they've been built in the last couple of years. And then we've got Valshida, who's made a bit of a bad call on the last mark and is lagging a bit behind, but she is one of the originals. And the other boats then that are here, Super Yachts, modern builds? Yes, so we've got, we've got a fleet of, I think, of nine here this week competing for, competing for the Cup in the, outside the J-Class. They range from 24 to 40 metre. A 40 metre Super Yacht, what's that like? Well, quite nice if you're in a position to be able to afford one. They're not, they're not the cheapest to build or to run, but the enjoyment you get out of it, the privacy, the, the space to, to spend time with, quality of time with family, away from the prying eye of the media or business, I think you can't really put a price on. What kind of people are buying these things? Ranges hugely. You've got people who have loved their sailing, loved being on board from an early age. They've They've maybe sailed small dinghies, they've, then they've gone up through the sizes and, and done well in business and able to buy something slightly larger. Or they're people who have actually done well, they're new to boats and they, they want to sort of join the club. Is Mediterranean the place to be with these boats? So we see two seasons with Super Yachts. Med season, which runs from, we're in the middle now, then towards the sort of October, November is when the Caribbean season starts. So you'll see a lot of boats doing an Atlantic crossing to get over to the likes of Mystique, etc. Will all of these have professional crews on them? Yes, for full-time professional crews. And how do you qualify to be a crew on one of these? It's a very good question. Lots of training, lots of practice, and a lot of patience. What kind of training, what kind of practice? So there are multiple training courses and schools and colleges around the world. It depends if you're going to be in, on the, in the interior, as they call it. So that means you're going to be the stewardess, or you're going to be a steward, and you're going to be serving inside. Or if you're a deckhand or an engineer, you've got to obviously have those specialist skills. Would many of these people be Olympic class or Olympic standard sailors? So here, there's a lot of the sailors here will be professional and they will have been on the circuit for a long time. They won't necessarily have been on the, in the Olympic classes, but certainly they know their way around the boat. How much does it cost to run one of these per year, would you think? <laughs> Let's start first. Well, on the way out, there was a boat park near us and you figured it cost 250 million pounds so i mean in answer to your question how long is a piece of string really we go by a a rough rule that 10 percent of the original purchase price so yes coming out 
we saw one of the latest Fed ships rumoured to have cost between 200 and 250 million. So you'd be looking at about 20 to 25 million pounds a year running costs. Oh, what are you spending that 25 million on? Uh, maintenance, big thing, obviously, you've got to make sure that these boats are up to date with all the codes and all the rules and regulations. You've got to have a good crew. Good crew doesn't come cheap. And, and, and then also you've got to have some toys on board to have a bit of fun as well. Your magazine, Boat International, tell me something about it. So Boat's been around for about 30, 35 years now. We're the authority on super yachting and the lifestyle that comes with it. So we write about everything that an owner could want to could want, possibly want to know about. So whether it is the latest yachts, the latest launches, the second-hand market, but also cars, watches, jewellery, anything that these guys really have an interest in. Okay. How many people in the world are we talking about who can afford these type of things? It's obviously a bit, a bit of a small pond. There's, there's roughly 10 to 11,000 yachts over 24 metres currently on the, on the water. For anyone who wants to know a bit more, we've got a market intelligence app called Boat Pro, which will have all the data for you. This event has attracted pro sailors from all over the world, and a surprising number of them are Irish. I met one up-and-coming Irishman on the dockside. I'm Oshin McClelland. Um, I'm in Palma sailing in the Super Yacht Cup on a boat called Ganesha. It's a 46-metre Vitters, big, big boat. I saw it today. Tell me about it. It is absolutely enormous. The spinnaker is about the size of an apartment block. Easily. Many football fields. Um, I've grown up sailing small boats, nothing over five metres. And to come onto this boat, everything's just enormous, uh, heavy, and uh, you got to put yourself in the right position. Uh, you don't want to get too close to anything uh, high-loaded, and, yeah, that's the priority. How do you get the spinnaker up? How do you get it down? There's about six of us on the bow, um, me included, and we're, we're dragging it forward and we're uh, making sure everything's plugged in correctly and uh, with a bit of manpower then you transfer it over to the winches and uh, on the call of the tactician at the back you just uh, you let it go and uh, you wait for it to get to the top and hope for the best and hope for the best exactly you seen to me did you get line on us today yes we did um, we had a good first beat and we got clear of the other boats each each of these boats is huge itself and casts a huge shadow wind um, shadow yeah and so with the wind shadow, we're, trying to, we're, we're sort of starting in, in a procession and it's important to stay clear. Uh, we did that first beat, uh, had a really good mark rounding. Um, on these boats, the manoeuvres become the priority um, with so many moving parts and so many people. Um, just choreographing these things becomes super important and we seem to nail it today. What size crew do you have? So there's 19 uh, race crew plus seven of the permanent crew on the boat and we all chip in. Okay. Um, on the buy alone, there's 10 of us, 12 even, when we're dropping the spinnakers. How do you get a job like this? Well, it's been a long process. I uh, started sailing 10 years old in, uh, in Donegadee <laughs> Sailing Club and uh, moved through the Olympic classes in Ireland. You campaigned for the Olympics? Yes, yeah, so I spent five years uh, campaigning for the Olympics. You got pretty close? Yeah, we were, I was close. I was, I was pushing hard for the last six years and uh, I got to 17th in the world rankings and uh, a couple of top 10 finishes in regattas, but unfortunately in the Olympic qualifier, I didn't quite make the cut. Um, as a bigger person, um, over 100 kilos, uh, limits the options in the smaller boats. Are you 6'5"? Well, yeah, I'm six, two, two metres, so 6'6". Okay. Six, six, yeah. And okay. so 6'6 uh, six, six at 100 kilos plus 
it, uh, it becomes an issue of finding the boat that fits you. Um, and so the fin was perfect. Uh, it's no longer in the Olympics. And so to continue that sailing career, uh, you've got to move on to something different. And how did you end up on Ganesha? Uh, through uh, a good contact in Palma. Um, he's doing tactics on the boat this week. Um, I've sailed with him on other boats. He sort of fought, watched me a bit when I was uh, coming up in the Olympic classes. And uh, I keep getting pigeonholed for my size and, and strength, I guess. Uh, Would you hope to make a career out of this? Yeah, I think it's possible. It's a tricky, it's a tricky place to, to navigate. You know, you need to be very professional in what you do, um, and you're constantly learning. It's a bit you of a mind. You need to be pretty mobile in your lifestyle. Absolutely, um, you can't really spend too much time at home. Um, you're constantly on the move. I'd say I probably average two to three weeks away a month at the moment. Okay. Um, and various different classes, and sort of being pretty adaptable with the ability to sort of jump into a new team week in week out. It definitely helps. There's quite a lot of young Irish people involved in this business. Absolutely. Um, and I've got a couple of, yeah, I mean, we... Maybe after New Zealanders, Australians and the UK, Irish people are there, thereabouts. Absolutely. Huge network in the industry. Um, we're all looking out for each other. It's important and you know in these boats it can be quite dangerous and you need to have people you trust. And when you grow up sailing with someone, you definitely create a bond and you can, you can definitely uh, count on people. And so when you see your friends and that you know what they're good at, you want to bring them along and that, that keeps a good team, team environment as well. The best of luck as you go forward. Thank you very much. Kate Branagh is the director of the Super Yacht Cup in Palma. She told me about the event, the boats and some very specific rules they have. Well, the Super Yacht Cup is a, a regatta for big boats, um, boats over 24 metres, uh, sailboats obviously. And it's been going since the since ninety seven, so a long time with a, the longest running super yacht regatta in, in Europe. And initially, it was started as a, a jolly just at the end of the summer season before boats headed off to the Caribbean for winter. And it was very informal. It was go out. A few boats came out. We um, made a course of a triangle, literally just say shout, go, and then the first whack one. And it was all very very low key and a few beers on the dock afterwards. And then the following year, it was like, well, we could do something bigger and we could make this more fun and we could add a few more boats. So it's, it grew um, organically in the first few years and then made a big jump when we started to say, well, actually, we could have nicer parties if we had sponsors and made it a little more um, commercial, but still trying to keep the fun atmosphere and the um, nature of the event the same. Tell me about the size of the event you have now at the moment. How many boats do you have today? Uh, we have four of the J-Class, and then we have seven other super yachts. So we're, we're um, 11 boats out there racing, um, which compared with the dinghy fleet doesn't sound very many, but when you consider some of these big boats may have 45 crew on board, we're talking quite a lot of people. What kind of boats? Are there any boats competing at the moment now that we might know about or we should look out for? Uh, well, anyone who's um, a bit of a, a, a classic boat spotter will know all about the Jays. They've been racing since the, the 30s, the 1930s, and it was the very first racing that started with the America's Cup. So that's where it all started. And as I'm sure many people know, that the America's Cup is actually the oldest sporting trophy in the world. So um, those boats were, were designed back in the 30s, and the, the class now carries many of the same rules and regulations. So the boats have to be built from the original designs from those days. So you can have a new boat, but it has to be built to the design from that original template. Um, so they're an incredible class of very, very beautiful boats. Um, 
they raced very hard. They're, we've got some of the best sailors in the world. We've got Olympic sailors. We've got World Championships, um, America's Cup sailors. Um, we've literally got the who's who of, of yachting on those days. So um, there's no shortage of, of uh, high-caliber sailors. And then the other, the more modern boats? There's a real mix. Um, some boats that have done several of these kind of regattas before. Um, a boat like Ganesha, um, which has, in fact, his, he, he started doing this event in the very early days of his previous boat um, and then built a bigger boat. Uh, so they're a different style. They're built more for cruising, so more comfort in, down below and uh, sort of modern-day living. Um, but they've been designed with performance in mind to keep them fast to um, have that ability to go racing. Are they all professional crews? Uh, yes, that will all have a percentage of professional crew. Some, some may be more family orientated and family and friends, but they'll have a core crew of their permanent crew and then some additional um, more experienced professionals doing certain key jobs. You have a particular rule, the 40 metre rule, which other people might not know about. Yes, it, the 40-metre rule developed out of the fact that we realised that these are extremely big boats, uh, not very manoeuvrable, and in, in yacht racing, as it stands in any other class, we, we follow what's called the Racing Rules of Sailing, RRS, and uh, there's no limit on how close you get. As long as you don't collide, that's within the rules, whereas we can't do that on these boats. Um, so we have basically sort of rewritten the rules of sailing had it ratified by world sailing and produced something called appendix sy which basically means we follow the racing rules of sailing but then have our own particular rules that apply to super yacht racing and so we have you imagine a circle around a boat of 40 meters so going on that 40 meter edge is the equivalent to a collision in a dinghy so you are not allowed within that 40 meter circle okay i'm coming up to a mark there's a boat inside Ooh. me. He should maybe I may have to give him water. What's the rule there? Well, I just would probably get it all wrong. Although I've been on working on these rules for years, I would hate to give you advice on that one. But there are rules that are um, that apply for mark rounding. So there's zones around a mark. So the mark rounding rules is different to the straight line rules. Okay. And going around you know, things like islands or um, uh, any any point that you have to avoid, there are more particular rules. So I'm not going to go into each of those. But you basically keep apart. Sailing in Palma, it's almost ideal conditions. You've got, it's quite calm now, but later on this afternoon you'll have quite a bit of wind. Well, I, I hate to jinx things, but um, because we've three, three more days of racing to go, but uh, it is known for the sea breeze here. Um, overnight, the island is, is obviously the island heats up during the day and cools down at night. There's very little wind in the mornings, and then as the um, temperature rises on land, in comes in the breeze. So, um, generally speaking, around one o'clock. We get the breeze, but what can happen and looks like might happen tomorrow and um, Saturday is we do get more prevailing wind, slightly more northerly, um, which has a potential to shut down the sea breeze, which would then compete. So you have to keep an eye on the weather the entire time, um, but it, it kind of goes from perfect to almost perfect. So we're not too too worried. And the size of the yachting industry here is phenomenal if you have a problem you can get it fixed overnight 
Well, yes, it is pretty unique. Um, some of the best yacht services in the world for, for big boats. Um, it's very specialist, um, the type of work on these boats. Um, you know, they're virtually all custom equipment on it with everything from, um, you know, spas and sails to electronics, um, refrigeration, air conditioning, everything. But uh, you've got some of the best technicians um, in the world working from here. So that does help. As Kate Brown has said, the rules of racing play a hugely important part when the boats here are so big and so expensive. It was the job of another Irishman to adjudicate on the water for the J-Class yachts, some of the most spectacular sailing boats ever built. Bill O'Hara, you're the umpire for the J-Class here at, at today's event. What is your job? So we, we follow the boat around um, and if they have a dispute another boat they put up a flag um, and then we decide whether it should be a penalty or whether it's uh, no rules been broken and um, it saves if they give them a penalty they have to take a full do a full turn which does take a lot of time in a j-class boat but it's so much better than bringing that whole dispute back to shore and having a formal hearing witnesses evidence it goes on for two or three hours so the owners decided they'd rather have it decided on the water. So you're following behind in a rib? Yeah. You've got a red flag or a green flag, or is that how it works? Yeah, that's basically how it works, yeah. Because the, the J-Class, though, they're fantastic boats and big boats. They don't go very fast. I mean, they, they go about 10 knots upwind and downwind. Okay. Um, so it's very easy to stay with them. And the biggest problem is manoeuvring around them to try and get in the right position. Because when you're umpiring, you have to be in a good position to get all the facts to make the decision and these are big boats. What metres are they? Uh, around fo 40 metres. So 120 feet? Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's about 135, 140. So. Are they hard to sail? They look pretty hard and demanding. They have massive crews. Yeah, so they can I mean, have up to 40 on board, some of them. Um, but they all have at least 30 and uh, I they bring us on board so we can not we can practice how the boats steer uh, to understand the boats better because it just, you just don't turn the wheel and the boat turns. <laughs> the boats weigh 160 tons, you know, and, and it's uh, it's very much more uh, more more effort to, to, to turn than it would be in a normal boat. Um, it's uh, it's great. It's just beautiful. Because if people have an idea in their mind of a classic yacht with towers of sails built up, of, this is what these are. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, were, they were built in the 30s uh, when people thought they had money and they were using them for the America's Cup, uh, which is the kind of the oldest trophy in sailing. And then most of them got stripped for all their good metal and good parts for the war effort. Uh, and then in the 80s, they started to uh, recover the boats. Some were rebuilt from the same plan. Some were uh, are the original hull. Um, the one which, is, which actually kept going the whole way through and never got stripped is uh, not here, but it's Shamrock 5, uh, the, the Irish one. Sir Thomas Lipton has Irish entries, quite a history in the America's Cup in these particular boats. You know, a huge history, yeah. So he, he, he actually had uh, five America's Cups and uh, it was in the era of these boats were coming into prominence. Well, people know Lipton's tea, but he, he had to join Royal Ulster Yacht Club in the north of Ireland because... He wasn't allowed to join the Royal Clubs in England because uh, he was a merchant. So he joined Royal Ulster around 1900, 1901, and I'm a member of that club as well, in that club for 20, 
28 years or 32 years or something. Even though he never won it, he probably is the most famous person associated with these yeah. boats and with the America's Cup. Yeah, he probably is, actually. Uh, uh, and he's really good. At, I mean, he did it for marketing. And, and the guy, I do a lot of traveling around the world with sailing. And there's virtually nowhere I go there isn't the Lipton Cup somewhere. You know, uh, he was warding cups all over the shop. And yeah, he's very, very, very well known. Bill O'Hara, you sailed in the Olympics yourself for Ireland. Yeah, so, so I was a club sailor at Ballyhome and we hosted the 79 Europeans in lasers and I started to realise it was a different game than what we were doing at home and um, I went away the following summer uh, to Canada for the summer and one thing or another, uh, I got quite good in the laser uh, and I got asked to go to the games uh, in what was called the Finn dinghy. I went in 84 and I went in 88. But really, for me, that wasn't, it was never going to be a professional career. I then moved on to help with the management uh, of, of Olympic Sailing in Ireland as a coach. And I took the team to Sydney. And in the Olympics, I was a team manager. And because I was so heavily involved in the admin side, I became interested in the rules. And I ended up qualifying as a judge and went to the next two Olympics as a member of the jury. And then from 2012, I've been rules advisor at the Olympics for various teams. At the last one, it was Ireland and New Zealand. It's always Ireland. It's always Ireland and somebody. The one before, it was Ireland, uh, Brazil and China. Is, right? is that a full-time job for you? From 2001, I earned my living mainly uh, in sailing work. I, I helped set up the academy in the south of Ireland and, and the sort of equivalent in the north of Ireland. I've done five uh, Volvo Ocean races, and then I uh, started doing umpiring. Now, it goes without saying that I was hugely impressed by Palma. I don't believe what you might hear from leaving cert holidays about Mallorca. Robin Hennessy has been coming here for decades. He told me about Palma and the sailing here. Well, I've been coming here since the early 70s in various roles, both uh, holidays, sailing and uh, yacht racing and uh, also I've worked here for, for quite a while in the airline business which was my main career and uh, presently I'm retired and uh, I'm enjoying it as, a, as a, a second home. What's it like sailing out of here? You keep a boat here? I do, I keep a boat here. Uh, it's very pleasant sailing out of here. It's generally calm nights uh, in, the, in the morning, late morning, around midday the breeze comes up it's a fantastic circular uh, bay with a, a lovely sea breeze which uh, comes in and peaks around five or six or four or five o'clock maybe and uh, then dies off to a nice calm evening again it also keeps the place nice and cool it, it, it does and it's very pleasant here today even though the sun is shining but the one thing that strikes you coming here and down to the boat the size of the sailing industry here is something nobody in ireland has any concept of Absolutely, it's it's wall-to-wall sailing here. It's uh, it's 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 a very understated sailing capital of the world, but world, but it certainly must rank as as uh, one of the one of the best ones. Any idea how many yachts are here? I have no idea, but hundreds of thousands, I'd say. Every little cove and cala, uh, quite apart from the marinas, is full are full of boats, and uh, and and everybody uses them quite 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 extensively. We're here in the main port in Palma, and the yachts vary from small, very small yachts to super things, super yachts. Uh, absolutely. Well, we're uh, 
we're, we're looking at some of the most beautiful yachts in, in the place or around here and right now the, there's a super yacht cup around, along which uh, features some of the best super yachts in, in the world, best design and top designers and of course uh, the uh, money is no object for most of these owners so yeah. it's it's quite a it's quite a bragging bragging right scene and it's a different word there's one here at the end of of the pier one tell me about that one well i don't know the name of it but it's been there for some months now and i'm confirmed by the presence of the guardia seville every morning that it's uh, it's been impounded as a as a russian owned uh, super yacht and it's a top of the range very new super yacht i'd say I say I would say thirty or fifty million wouldn't be wouldn't cover it. It's it doesn't have sails. It's that kind of a yacht. What's it like if you want to sail in here? Can you get a berth? It's very difficult to get a berth. It's very very difficult. You can get a berth in winter, okay, but uh, there's such a lot of uh, transit traffic in summer that it's almost impossible to get into uh, uh, any of the marinas. There are a lot of marinas in Palma Bay but it's very difficult to get a berth, you know, unless you book a long time in advance. Okay, so you're booking long months in advance, year in advance? Yeah, well, it would certainly be three or four months in advance. Okay, otherwise, what, you're just anchoring up somewhere? You can anchor, yeah, you can anchor out in the bay there, but it's not much fun, you're, really. you're missing all the nice restaurants and bars and etc. and the company and, and, of course, the magnificent surroundings of the Royal Palma Yacht Club where we are at the moment. And many thanks to Robin Hennessy, Bill O'Hara and all the other people I met in Palma. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the Programmers podcast is on our website, rte.ie seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on near the water over the next week, stay safe. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergo Keane.